Probably the most overused phrase in all the sports. It's not just about the players, but usually people in the media. And we say, what a good guy, man. He's, he's really a good guy. Maybe in life we just use that term too often and it's been watered down. But I have to tell you, the Kill Coin conversation this week is with one of the good guys in sports, Kurt Menefee. You know him as the host of Fox NFL Sunday, sitting there trying to be the ringleader when Terry Bradshaw says God knows what, and Howie Long and Michael Strahan and Jimmy Johnson are acting up at the other end of the desk. It's Kurt's job to kind of keep it all together. And I know people in the industry, and they're like, what, Kurt, man, he is a good guy. But I can also tell you from personal experience, back in the day, Fox would always have, and before sideline reporters were prominent and before, you know, featured even, they would have a local Fox person be the sideline reporter for that week's game. And if you think about it, it's not it's not the worst idea. I'm sure there's no name recognition to the people watching the game around the country. But if you're doing a Rams game in St. Louis, who knows those storylines better than somebody from St. Louis? If it's a Panthers game in Carolina, the guy or girl, woman, man, whatever, working in Charlotte is going to be way more versed on what's going on that week with the Panthers than anybody else. So that's what Fox would do. And I got tabbed to do it several times. And it's a ton of fun. And you would go to the production meetings on Saturday night. Well, some of the crews, and you could just kind of feel it in the room, were like, oh, who's this? Who's this schmo over here? Who's this? What's his name? Marvin Kildorn? What's he doing here? And then other times, the crew would be really engaging and say, what are people saying this week? What's going on with Kurt Warner or Mark Bulger or Mike Martz? And they would always want some insight. Sometimes that would happen. And one of the crews where I remember being engaged or feeling included was Kurt Benefee's group and his producer. And we would have these great production meetings. Then on Sunday, they'd throw it down to you and you'd do a couple of reports. And it was fun to do. But I'll never forget that. And Kurt and I also had a connection that he had worked in Madison, Wisconsin at WISC, which is the CBS affiliate in Madtown. And he'd worked there maybe 10 years before me, something like that. So we would always talk about that. And I wanted to talk to Kurt about his career. He has done a little bit of everything uh, at the network level. In fact, we start the interview, I, I forgot a couple of things. Currently, he's doing some USFL. Saw him in St. Louis two years ago doing the Battle Hawks games. And before he was the the face of Fox NFL Sunday as the host, he was doing play-by-play. But he's worked in New York and Dallas, and he's even written a book. We get into that topic, how his career sort of unfolded. And if you remember, Kevin Burkhart, who's now replacing Joe Buck as the number one Fox play-by-play guy, he told us a story how his sports broadcasting career had sort of flattened out and he was selling cars in New Jersey and now he is a you know highly paid NFL network announcer and Kurt Menefee had a story too he was, he was ready to get out of the business I think the station went under where the the regional cable outlet he was with went under and said he thought he was probably done in the business and I, I love hearing those stories where people kind of hang in there and it all works out and remember, he didn't replace James Brown as the Sunday morning host. He worked in conjunction with Joe Buck. There was the year where Joe Buck was the host of the Sunday morning show, and they would do the show on site, and then Joe would get whisked upstairs to do the play-by-play of that featured game. 
it was kind of a crazy deal. So Kurt gets into that as well. And again, one of the fixtures at Fox, really likable guy. I think what you see is what you get on TV. Hope you enjoy this conversation with Kurt Menefee. As always, the Kilcoin Conversation is presented by Triad Bank, a longtime sponsor of all of our segments. Was just in there this week, and I, I'm always stressing this point, but I'm always amazed when I walk in there how friendly everybody is. I just love that bank. And if you're looking to do more business or if you want a home loan, car loan, whatever it is you're in the market for, make sure you talk to the folks at Triad Bank. Just walk right into the lobby. Friendly folks, neighborhood-friendly bank, right there on Clayton Road in Frontenac. Triadbanking.com is where you can find them on the web for all of your banking needs. I can't encourage you enough to check out my friends at Triad Bank. Marie DeVilla Senior Living. They're at the corner of Clayton and Wideman Road. Beautiful campus, and that's what it is. It's a campus. Villa Estates, the housing. Then you have the main campus there. Assisted living. All levels of care at Marie DeVilla Senior Living. You can get a virtual tour at Marie DeVilla. That's M-A-R-I-D-E-V-I-L-L-A.com. MarieDeVilla.com is where you can take that virtual tour today. Appliance Discounters, theappliancediscounters.com. Just go right on the website, type in whatever you're in the market for. Maybe just start with General Electric. You know all about the great GE brands. You can search right there for a washer, dryer, stove, refrigerator, you know, name it. Uh, GE rebates always available. And Appliance Discounters, the 80,000 square foot warehouse in downtown St. Louis, no means that you are getting, slow down, Martin, slow down. What happens is you start flipping all your words, inverting. Because they have that giant warehouse, they can get you your merchandise quickly. Their savings are your savings. It's been more than a slogan for more than a decade. Appliance discounters for all your appliance needs. And B&G Tuck Pointing, they are the best in the bricks. Great online visuals when they get something done. They'll do a little before and after if you have a brick home, a brick business, or if it's some waterproofing, foundation repair, all of that under one roof, which is bgtuckpointing.com, or call Rich Galati directly at 363-0525-314-363-0525. They are the best in the bricks for a reason. All your tuck pointing needs in one spot. All right, here we go. A football conversation, a career reflection with Kurt Menefee. Well, Kurt, I was going to break out my Fox uh, bingo card here and see if I got everything right. You Obviously, the host on Sundays with the Fox NFL Sunday. Mm-hmm. You've done UFC, uh, yep. MLB, yep. soccer, yep. boxing. I'm trying to, have I missed yep. anything on the bingo card for Kurt Menefee? <laughs> well, you got a couple of uh, football leagues you missed. I, I did the NFL Europe. Okay. I did the XFL, and now I'm doing the USFL. Yeah, you're right. The football umbrella. There's quite a few. Exactly. But people know you now, I'm sure, as the studio guy. But before that, you were the play-by-play guy. I remember you doing Rams games at the Dome. Yeah. Is there – even when you're in the studio, do you miss being at the game? You know, it's different. People often ask which one's better. I don't think there's a better because I think they're two totally different things. Um, you know, it's like if, if you like to cook – you know, maybe you like to bake certain items and you like to grill other things, you know, so you have preferences. And I look at them that way. Uh, from the studio standpoint, I love the aspect of one, I love the guys that I'm with. I mean, I think that's that's part of it. 
um, because we've got a genuine friendship uh, amongst all of us, and we can get into that later. But I think that I'd like the aspect from a work standpoint of looking at the league from 30,000 feet. <clears throat> On a Sunday when one team loses, particularly late in the season, you see how it impacts another team and playoff positioning and those kinds of things. And you also get a chance to kind of see the heroes of the day. You know, maybe a guy who's playing on a team that's not going anywhere all of a sudden has the game of his life, and you get to enjoy that and celebrate that because I love celebrating football. But when you're doing play-by-play, you're so immersed in the two teams that you're doing. I mean, you've got to know the story for the third guard in case he comes in the game. And other things happen in the league on Sunday, and you kind of hear about it, but you, you, you're really not focused on it because you're focused on your game. So I, I, I miss the, the aspect of doing games you know, people call it, it's called play by play for a reason. You literally don't know what's happening with the next play. I do miss that aspect of it and being in front of 60,000 people, but I love the big picture aspect of the studio. And so I think each brings something special to it. Tell me about the USFL experience, because this is sort of unique where they're all in one city. Yeah. And, and the idea is they're almost saying it up front. Hey, this is a, this is for television. This is being yeah. made for TV in a sense. And, you know, there's, you know, not a packed house. Give mm-hmm. me an idea what that's like. You know, it, it has been interesting because all the teams are located in one city and the other host, all the teams are in Birmingham. So Birmingham, the Stallions are the only team that's still unbeaten at this point. Uh, and they are the biggest draw by far because obviously Birmingham fans want to jump on that bandwagon. When you've got Pittsburgh playing New Jersey, you know, unless you're just a football fan, it's, it's hard for people to kind of get that going with a new league. And so the attendance there hasn't been great. But I, I think it's been just interesting to watch from the aspect of even like last week, our big game was Tampa Bay, uh, who at the time was two and one, taking on Birmingham, who was three and oh. And we were talking to coaches and players from both. And they go, well, we're two of the teams that share meeting rooms. So we know the other team. Like personally, we see each other in the elevators. When our meetings are up, we're walking out the door. They're coming in. So it, it's a different aspect of it where they're not necessarily opponents and enemies like you would normally have. They've got personal relationships with a lot of the guys they play against. Um, but everybody's still out trying to win, trying to uh, achieve that goal of getting back to the National Football League because many of them have been there at some point in their careers, whether it's with a practice squad or a training camp or, or something, uh, or having played in the league for a couple of years as we got a couple of players. Um, and so that's been kind of different. I think that, you know, hopefully the plan is, is to get this to year two. I mean, that's been the challenge for all of these spring leagues. You know, we saw the pandemic kind of took the XFL, which I think had some momentum, uh, and shut it down, and it's having trouble getting going again. Uh, we've seen, you know, the Spring League and, and NFL Europe and all these others. Um, but if you can get to year two uh, and maybe play some of these games in host cities, I think the league will really take off. And I think it's done well so far. I mean, I think the ratings, people have been, I can tell you, not to speak for the bosses, but at Fox and NBC, my understanding is they're ecstatic with it. You look at the numbers – and the numbers went up from week two to week three. We're beating NHL playoff games. It's beating Formula One. It's beating uh, Sunday Night Baseball. Uh, it's beating a lot of those others. Is it going to get NFL numbers? No, never. Um, I don't think anything will get NFL numbers. And that's in the, in the television spectrum. But I think the numbers have been very good for this league, considering it's a league that just starting up. And a month ago, people hadn't seen one snap of it. And two months ago, none of these guys had even been together. So as much as you love being at a game or doing play-by-play, tell me about the call you get or how you find out that they want you to come into the studio with Terry and Howie, and that's back in 2007. Yeah. Was there any hesitation? Because you're like, oh, I want to call you. Or were you like, oh, my God. I want no, to it was the other way around, actually. I was ecstatic. You know, <clears throat> what happened is, is uh, it was actually 2006. Um, and so the NFC Championship game happens that year, and I believe it was in San Francisco. 
Uh, but I was doing play-by-play that, that season. And uh, it was the 2005 NFL season, so January of 2006. Uh, James Brown announces he's leaving and going to uh, CBS. And I, that was on a, uh, the game was on a Sunday. He told the Fox people that weekend. So word had gotten back to me as, as a Fox employee because I'd been doing games for 10 years at that point. The J, hey, JB's leaving the studio. They're going to be looking, you know, for uh, someone to come and take over. So that was maybe Sunday night or Monday morning. I remember I was leaving Monday night, flying to Australia and New Zealand for six weeks. And I was going to be gone on vacation. So I picked up the phone and I called Jimmy Johnson, who I had a slight relationship with. Um, back, he was the co- coach of the Cowboys for his last two years there were my first two years in Dallas as a, a local uh, sports announcer. Um, but Jimmy didn't know me that well, trust me. So I called him. I was just saying, hey, if you hear anything, will you put in a good word for me? And I also called uh, Scott Ackerson, who was the producer of the show at the time, and uh, David Hill, uh, who was the CEO of Fox Sports. And uh, he was like, well, when are you leaving? I, I go, I'm leaving tonight. He's like, all right, just go take your vacation, do your thing, and we'll let you know. So you don't know if that's a good sign or a bad sign. I go on vacation, and I remember I'm in New Zealand, and I get an email from David Hill. This is probably three, four weeks later. When are you coming back? And so I told him the date I was coming back. I was like, but I'll, I'll come back early. It's like, no, finish your vacation. But when you get back, we're, we're going to have auditions. And so I got back on a Monday in, in April and uh, stayed home for 24 hours. In New- I was living in New York, flew out to the West Coast, came and did the audition on uh, flew out Tuesday, did the audition on Wednesday, uh, and then flew back on Wednesday night. And that was it. And so this is the middle of April. And at that point, I'm like, okay, I, I think it went well. I heard it went well. I heard Bradshaw like me, yada, 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 you know, and then you start playing all these mind games. Okay, how's it going? How's it going? Well, that was the middle of April. May passes, June passes, and nothing has been said. I mean, not a word. So I go over and I'm doing NFL Europe. I'm calling from Europe. Am I getting this? What am I doing? I'm talking to my agent. I'm talking to anybody at Fox that could try and give me some insight. And you just hear, well, they're thinking about this. They're thinking about that. They're thinking about this, you know, and at that point, it feels like your whole life is wrapped up in whether or not you're going to get this job. So finally, to make a, a, a long story a little bit shorter, we get to the 4th of July weekend, and I get a call from David Hill and Ed Gorin just saying, hey, letting you know what we're going to do is, is the season uh, starts here in you know, two months. We're going to take the show on the road. Joe Buck is going to host the first 45 minutes of the show. Then he has to go up and do his game of the week. You'll finish out the pregame show. You do the halftime, and then you guys will split the postgame, just depending on blah, 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 whatever happens, how quickly you can get back down. So I'm like, okay, we're going to be on the road. I'm on the show. It gives me an opportunity to, to kind of put my foot in the door. And so we did that road year, and at the end of that year, it was clear that that was not going to be the future of Fox NFL Sunday, that it was going to go back in the studio. And you knew that there was going to have to be a choice made whether or not Joe would continue to do games or whether or not Joe would come into the studio and do it. And, you know, I don't know who made the call or how it was decided, but they decided, obviously, to keep Joe on the games and put me in the studio. And that's how it worked out eventually. And I think in the end, it worked out well for all of us. And you and I have talked about it. Uh, We went out and did a TV piece at the studio there in L.A. I think you said you're the ringleader, right? It described that. And people watch it and say, man, nobody knows what the hell Terry's going to say. And I'm like, it's true. I looked at the prompter. There was nothing Mm -hmm. in there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that give people an idea how organic the show is each week. It's a, a, forget a three ring circus. It's a six ring circus. I mean, it's one of those where 
all we do is we have a rundown. If you're in the business, you understand a rundown. If not, it's just kind of a list of topics and the order that we're going to talk about. You know, first we'll talk about the Vikings and and uh, and Packers, and then later on we'll talk about the Broncos and Chiefs. So just which game so everybody's on the same page. Um, but that's kind of it. I mean, there's a couple of things that are scripted for me that are timed for the video that, that's played or a sponsored element that, you know, we got to make sure we get the sponsors line in. Other than that, we're just kind of winging it. And, and it's me throwing out a topic to the guys. And I have an idea of what they want to say and where they want to go. But everybody's doing it off the top of their head. And that's what makes it fun is that there's no scripted way of doing this. And I can go back to, I remember the first weekend that Michael Strahan joined us. And we go through rehearsal. And it's more for the lighting and the cameras and, and that kind of thing, just to kind of get a rhythm. So we go through the rehearsal and nobody ever says what they're going to say on the air. So it's just like blah, 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 blah. And we get on the air and we start talking and you know the other guys say whatever they say. And I'm looking at Michael and I can tell he's lost. And then Michael says just basically what he said in rehearsal. And we get to the first break. He goes, man, you guys were tricking me. I thought what you said in rehearsal was what you're going to say. And they're like, no, nobody ever says that. So he was caught by surprise, even being in the business. He thought that what we did in rehearsal was what we do on the air. And it's just, it's just whatever is right at the moment is what we do. Is anything off limits? Because there's a lot of shots. I mean, Terry's bald. We know that Michael's got the teeth. I mean, I, yeah. it, it, does anybody ever walk off the set and say, okay, now that time you went too far. Is it ever? Nah. No, no, no. Well, yeah, look, this, is, it, it's, this show is all about relationships. I mean, you look at this show and Howie and Terry have been there from day one of Fox Sports which is 1994. So for 27 years, they've been sitting beside one another. Their families know one another. So they know where the line is. Jimmy's been there all except the five years he went back and coached the Dolphins. Um, I've been there for, this will be my 18th season coming up. This will be Michael Strahan's 16th season coming up. So we all know one another. And like any other friendship, you know where the line is. You know, you know how hard you can give, a, how much of a hard time you can give a guy before you go too far. So you know where that line is. And I think that that's what everybody respects, but that's what makes it fun because we know how to push just up to the line enough to give them a hard time and make them squirm just a little bit. Well, and as far as studio shows and, and the NBA, the TNT show with Ernie and that, that yeah. Barkley, that's great. I think Fox was the first, wasn't Fox kind of the first to just kind of yeah. let it rip instead of it being, all right, here's today's highlights, yes. all of the scores. Instead. Yeah. I, I mean, Fox started that, you know, and again, that was it predated me in the studio. Um, but it was the first show. First of all, I can remember, you know, because I'm old enough to remember when they got it in 1994, people couldn't believe that Fox, which is a network that didn't even have a sports division, got it. And David Hill came in and his idea was that, you know, it was too stilted the way pregame shows were done. It was you talk, I talk. Here's the subject. We're going to be serious, breaking down X's and O's. And he realized that people want entertainment, especially on a Sunday morning, um, more than they want X's and O's and being hammered over the head. And Fox was the first place to do that. It was also the first place to go with an hour for a pregame show. You know, now you got studio shows that are two, three hours and on Super Bowl Sunday, eight hours. <laughs> so it's hard to believe that nobody was doing an hour back then. And Fox was the first place to do it. But it did open the door for other shows to be able to be relaxed and to go out. And everybody now tries to get the guy who's like Bradshaw, who is just loose and, and, and kind of stirs the drink. Um, and that you want a group of people who are enjoying each other's company because that's really what it's all about. It's like, if we want to sit down and watch a football game at home, I want to have a good time. I want to feel good about it. And it's the same thing. You talk about you know, Ernie and Shaq and, and Barkley and those guys doing the NBA. I, I think they do a fantastic job 
of celebrating the NBA and making it fun, but also calling it real, like people at home. You know, they don't sugarcoat it and pretend everything's rosy all the time. And I don't think we do that. But I think one of the things that you talk about is just the mutual respect we have for one another, but also for the other shows. I mean, I'm trying to think three nights ago, maybe I'm watching the NBA playoffs on TNT and I'm sitting here with my wife and um, Barkley said something. I honestly don't remember what it was because he says so many things that are funny, but I just pick up my phone. I text him and Ernie and I hear right back from them. You know, we all get along because we all understand the challenge of doing this and doing it in a fun and entertaining way. And we respect each other's games so much that it's, it's cool to actually be able to, you know, have friendships with guys on other shows and it's not just basketball, but I do think a lot of that comes from just our personalities. You see who we are on the air. That's who we are off the air. And I think the same thing goes for that show as well. It's a long day. What I remember is in obviously LA it's Pacific time. So it's an early call time yeah. on a Sunday. And there I was, you guys have a nice green room and I turn on, Jeff Gordon is behind me getting a plate of eggs. I'm like, this is like the star. It is a celebrity green room and sponsors are there having bloody Marys. I'm like, this is a big old deal. You guys had to work, but it's a long day. And then do you guys hang out after? Is it? No, afterwards, usually people have, I'm the only one that lives out in California. And I, uh, during the pandemic, like so many other people uh, decided to get out of the big city and I left Los Angeles and I'm up in the Santa Barbara area now, but still it's an hour and a half drive home, less than an hour and a half. But uh, everyone lives somewhere else, somewhere else. Howie splits his time between Arizona and uh, Virginia. Uh, Glazer's in Arizona. Michael's in New York. Jimmy's in the Keys. Terry's in Oklahoma. So as soon as the, the show is over, everybody hops on a plane and heads back home. So we don't get to spend time after the show. But what we do is we'll spend time together before the show. On Saturdays, uh, weeks of Jimmy's out here in particular, Jimmy, Terry, and I uh, will get together and watch college football together. Every now and then we'll get together and do dinners together. Um, even in the off season, you know, coming up here in a week from this Friday, we're all getting together and, and, and hanging out in Vegas. We try to do a boys trip together each year and the pandemic has kind of changed that the last couple of years. Uh, we were able to get together last spring and everybody came to Southern California and we spent time in Ojai and we'll go to each other's house and, and do it sometimes like that. But uh, yeah, we just tried to, to get together pre-show and do it on a, a Friday or Saturday night instead of after the show so that everybody can get home in time. Did you grow up wanting to be on TV or sports? No. 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 Are you from no. Iowa? I know you went to college in Iowa. Is Iowa. I went to Coe College in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Uh, the only NFL player out of there uh, ever, at least who made it, was Fred Jackson, who was a running back with Buffalo and, and finished his career in Seattle. Uh, we had Kerry Bender, who was in the Bills practice squad for a while, because Marv Levy, who led the Bills to four Super Bowls and coached Kansas City uh, as a Coe College alum, Bill Fitch, who uh, coached the Boston Celtics and Houston Rockets. Um, he's a co-college alum or was. Um, but no, I, I went to college there. I grew up in Atlanta. Uh, grew up in Atlanta, big Braves, Hawks, Falcons, and Flames fan back in the day. Um, but I, I, you know, I blew up my knee in high school um, and had to have it reconstructed. And this was, you know, back in the day, I was uh, 15 years old, turning 16. And I, like, because the school I went to had stairs and all that kind of stuff. And it wasn't ADA compliant. You didn't have to do that back in the eighties. Uh, I missed almost a full year of in-class instruction. And, you know, so they had tutors that would come to my house and everything. Um, but at that point I knew that I wasn't going to play in the national football league because every kid who plays high school football thinks he's going to be an NFL player someday. So then it became, okay, what do you want to do? And I figured I want to do something involving sports in some capacity, but I, I liked photography at the time. So I thought, okay, maybe being a sports photographer, still photographer, 
on the sidelines would be cool. And so I started looking at that. And um, just when I decided I wanted to go to college, at that point, I, I fell in love with co-college. And it's a decision. I have no idea why I'm growing up in Atlanta and I want to go to school in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, at a place that at the time had 1,200 students, which was less than my high school. But I fell in love with the school and, and decided I wanted to go there. And they had no journalism program, you know, no TV classes, not even a radio station at that point. Um, and so but someone said Fred Hickman went to co-college. And Fred Hickman was an anchor at CNN back when CNN did sports. And so I contacted Fred and, you know, being a kid in Atlanta, I called him and he called me back and talked about Co. Fred helped me get an internship at Co. the summer after my freshman, at uh, CNN, the summer after my freshman year. That was my first experience in television. And all I did was log games. I write down the highlights, uh, the big plays, so that the editors would be able to, to cut them down and have them for the show later on that night. Um, and then I wound up staying overnight, and, you know, because the show was on at 1130, and learning how to edit and, and you know, talk myself and just playing with the machines and doing those kinds of things. So when I got back to Cedar Rapids, Iowa, I called up all the local stations and no one needed anything. And I was like, oh, I interned at CNN. No one needed anything. But a guy named John Campbell, who I'm still in touch with to this day, he's retired now. But he wrote my name and number down and he called me up. That was in September. He called me back in April of my sophomore year of college and said, hey, I need someone to carry gear at the University of Iowa spring game. You don't get paid. You don't get to be on TV, nothing. You won't be famous. Uh, I just need some help. Are you willing to do it? And I said, yeah. So I did it. And he goes, well, Iowa State spring games next weekend. Do you want to do that? I said, yeah. And after that, he says, what do you want to do? I said, I think I want to be a producer because at least I learned what that was. <laughs> That's all I knew, though. I, I really didn't know what else. I didn't know what the jobs were. And so he said, OK. And so he kind of took me under his wing. And, and I started going into the station whenever I had free time, which was on a daily basis. I wanted to do an internship there. Then he wound up getting me hired on staff to kind of shoot games, high school games, and, and, et cetera. But um, that summer, he said, why don't you take the highlights that we do at night and put your voice down on tape and just you know, do a VO and, and, and just see what it sounds like. So I did that. And he took it to the news director and said, well, why don't we have this kid start reporting on high school sports and co-college and, and that kind of thing. So I was 19 years old and I started on air in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, but it was the benefit of being in a small market and having someone who actually cared about helping people. And you know, John, I tell him to this day, I, I'm not here without him because I hadn't even thought about being on camera or on air. I mean, it hadn't crossed my mind until he said that. And that's what got me started on air uh, from a broadcast standpoint, instead of being behind the scenes. And so I did that for the last two years I was in college. Um, and then when I graduated, they offered me a job. They didn't want to have a third person in sports, but they said, you can have a job in news, but you can do sports. And I'm like, yeah, I don't ever want to be the guy who has to knock on someone's door after a loved one is, is died in a tragic accident and said, how do you feel? So I just knew that that wasn't me. Um, so I wanted to stick with sports. I went to work in Des Moines, Iowa uh, as a sports reporter. Then Madison, Wisconsin was my first uh, anchor job as a weekend sports anchor there. Then I went to work uh, at uh, Sports News Network, SNN, which was really like ESPN News is predated or ESPN News was. Even that's gone now. Um, but it was based in New Jersey. So I did that. It went bankrupt after eight months. I was unemployed for almost a year um, and went and worked on a senatorial campaign for Russ Feingold, uh, who became a U.S. senator out of Wisconsin. That was his first campaign. Then um, got back into business, worked in Jacksonville, Florida as a weekend anchor, left there, went to do Monday through Fridays in Dallas, which is Jimmy Johnson's last two years and Barry Switzer's first. 
So they won two Super Bowls. And then I left there and went to New York, where the Yankees got in that run of winning four World Series. Um, and, uh, you know, the Knicks were pretty good. And I did that. And that was at a Fox station in New York. And so that's when I hooked up with the network, started doing sidelines, play by play into the studio. And here we are. Wow. A, a year unemployed reminds me because we talked to Kevin Burkhart and he was selling cars for a while. Yeah. And yeah. His wife, his wife is like, you're still going to stick with this broadcasting thing. And <laughs> yeah. Local radio. And he said, well, I sold cars for a little while and kind of just stuck with it. And then look at him now. So here now Burkhart ends up being the main guy on the yeah. football side. Uh, locally, St. Louis, it's a big story. Joe Buck no longer at Fox. I'm with mm -hmm. Fox. We've interviewed Joe 4,000 times about Fox. How strange does it sound that he's Joe Buck is not at Fox? You know, it, it's been a weird offseason. <laughs> Let's say it that way from a broadcast standpoint. You know, Joe's no longer at Fox after being there. He was there, you know, day one in 1994. Troy Aikman's no longer there. He's been, you know, the lead analyst for 20 years with Fox for 21 uh, you know, Al Michaels is, is now shifted over to Amazon. I mean, it's just one change after another. You need a program to, to, to keep the score, as they like to say. So it's going to be weird for us, but I'm happy for Joe and Troy because I, I think they got what they wanted with some personal success and personal satisfaction. You know, and I think that this thing to remember, these are jobs, but they're jobs filled by humans. And, you know, people have family desires and, and needs just like everybody else does, you know. And, and, and so now maybe there's less travel for these guys, for Joe in particular. Um, he's got a young family that he needs to be around and those kinds of things. And schedule works better. I won't speak for him. But, I, you know, you're happy for people be, to be able to do what they want to at this stage of their life. And we're still all friends. I mean, I, I texted with Joe since he's left. Um, I text with Troy regularly. He's got a place not far from where I am um, here in, in Southern California that he gets out here. And so I still see him and those kind of things. So, um, you know, those friendships weren't based on being work partners. Those friendships were based on, on liking and respecting each other as individuals. And so, you know, I expect those to continue with time. And so you're happy for your friends whenever they achieve what they want. And I'm happy as hell for Kevin Burkhardt as well. I mean, I've known Kevin forever and he is, I'm one of the reasons, and I don't want to tie too many things together here, but, you know, people say, well, you're hosting the NFL on Fox. Why are you doing USFL games? Why did you do XFL? Um, I love seeing people succeed in life, uh, especially people that work hard or that try and that kind of thing. You know, because I, I look at you know, my life and, and I go, so much of success is about persistence. You know, I talk about being unemployed for a year. I talk about Kevin Burkhardt or you did, you know, we're selling cars. You know, you look at people that are successful, most of them just refused to quit and work their asses off and kept going. And that's what the success is. It's not that it was given to you. Um, and so I'm always happy whenever people have success that have worked really hard. So I'm so happy for Kevin um, that he gets this opportunity. And, you know, this is a life-changing opportunity for him now. And, you know, at his age, he's got the potential to do this for another 25, 30 years. And you've written a book called Losing mm -hmm. Isn't Everything. Unless this is another Wikipedia. Wikipedia has you moving to Chicago. I found out that's not okay. accurate. Okay. <laughs> no, no, but I did write the book, yes. <laughs> did write a book. Okay, tell me, first of all, the title, Losing Isn't Everything. What does that mean? Well, you know, I just, when I had to come up with a title, you know, I was in the midst of writing, you run across a lot of previously written books. And I know the cliche is always uh, taken from Vince Lombardi, that winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. And Lombardi has said that uh, apparently 
said that that's not the exact quote, but that's what's become famous is that winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. And I wanted to tell a story of the, the people that weren't on the winning side of famous moments in sports and show that it, it, it's not the only thing, that losing isn't everything. Just because you lose, and that's what you're most known for by the general public, it can or, or cannot affect the rest of your life depending on how you handle it. And that's what it was. For me, I won't say it's a self-help book, but it was more about people and how they deal with the disappointment in their life. And you talked to you know, Mary Decker Slaney, who lost in the 84 Olympics, or um, 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 I'm sorry, I just drew a blank here on the name here. Um, I was going to say, I wrote the book and I can't remember the name. Oh, it's, um, Michael Jordan hit the shot over Craig Elo. Oh, Elo, yeah, yeah. Clear. Your moment, yeah. You know, who's been posterized for the, the shot he was defending Michael Jordan on. Or uh, Rodney Harrison, who's defending David Tyree on the helmet catch in the Super Bowl. Like all these guys, these are moments that, that, that have been trapped in time. That, you know, you were on the wrong end of that. You suck. How does it affect the rest of your life? Or how do you overcome it? You know, and, and that became the challenge. Jean Vandeveld, who blew the, the British Open, you know, by getting a seven on the, uh, on the final hole and losing in a playoff. You know, he said, look, I'm French. I went and had some wine. I'm good. He made commercials joking about it after that. But then you get uh, other guys like Craig Elo, who wound up setting his house on fire and having to go to drug rehab. And he said the counselors told him he never truly dealt with that moment uh, because he tried to pretend it didn't happen, put it in the past. And that caused him other problems later on. And so I wanted to just look at what happened to people who were famous, most famous with the general public for having been on the wrong end of, of monumental sports moments and how it's affected them and their families and the rest of their lives and how the ones that have overcome it have been able to overcome it. And the ones that didn't, that were willing to talk, what advice would you give people? Because we all have adversity that we have to overcome. I mean, people have unfortunate, you know, deaths in the family, you lose your job, you get divorced and you're still, you know, these people, most of them were 25, 26 years old when it happened. So you still got a lot of life left. So you can't just put your head in the sand and go, well, I'm done. So how do you keep going? And I, and I wanted to get the lessons out of that. And that's where it came. That's a great concept. Losing isn't everything. Kurt Metaphy, author. And maybe who knows if the XFL does come back and maybe Fox gets a piece of it. I think you had a Battlehawks game, didn't you, here in town? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, fantastic. That was a great, great scene there. The town was into it. They're, they're <laughs> holding fingers crossed that it'll come back. And you were here for some Rams games. It's funny about that building. I'm working on a piece. I was just at Dick Vermeil's house in Pennsylvania. And we were like, when, when the team sucked, the dome sucked. But when the team was great, the dome was great. I'm like, it's kind of funny how that all right. goes hand in hand, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's probably the same with the Battlehawks. The team was fun and the city was into it. Exactly. Well, and I talked about the USFL game I did, uh, you know, this past week in, in Tampa Bay and Jordan Tomo is their quarterback. And so, uh, you know, he's playing in the USFL right now and having some, some success as well. But he's another guy. You know, I got to meet him at being the Battlehawks quarterback. And he's one of those guys that you root for because you know how hard he works and, and you want to see him succeed. And he's had a couple shots in the NFL and you hope he gets at least one more and is able to, to kind of make it click. I mean, you guys saw it there with Kurt Warner, you know, and, and again, this is where we go back. I did Kurt Warner games in the, in the uh, NFL Europe. I did, you know, we had one year, Kurt Warner and Jake DeLone were splitting time as quarterbacks of the Amsterdam Admirals. Uh, and both those guys went on to play in Super Bowls. And so you know that there's potential if people are given an opportunity. And again, I use these leagues that really kind of translates into life. Most people just need an opportunity. And if they are willing to work hard and you get an opportunity, success will follow. Kurt, great to catch up, man. Thanks for sharing your story. Oh, anytime, Martin. Glad to be with you.
You know, it's going to be a different year on Fox when you think about football and no Joe Buck, no Troy Aikman. Folks will get to know Kevin Burkhardt a little more, and if you want to hear his story, just go back. Uh, it's less than a year ago, but just go back into the Killcoin conversation on scoopswithdannymac.com, Spotify, iTunes. We've had a lot of great broadcaster conversations. Kenny Albert's been calling the Western Conference Final on TNT, the NHL on TNT. Great visit with Kenny at one point. Kevin Harlan, Bill Raftery. We're uh, targeting Gus Johnson. We've been in we've been in talks with some people. Would love to get Gus on the show and uh, add him to our list of great announcers: Joe Buck, Bob Costas, John Rooney, who've all been on this particular format. As always, again this. Segments are on Dan's website, or if you subscribe, they'll be delivered directly to you, and we encourage folks to do that. And sometimes we'll venture out, venture out, maybe have a comedian or a politician, and continue to grow, go in uh, just different directions. So we appreciate you checking us out. It's presented by Marie de Villa Senior Living, the home for Red Shandings for so many years. Great spot in West County, mariedevilla.com. Triad Bank has been based in St. Louis since 2005 in person on Clayton Road in Frontenac or on the web triadbanking.com and that second location open now on Olive just a little bit west of 270, a St. Louis-based bank. They can help you do more business. B&G Tuck Pointing, the best in the bricks, and I mean it because they will make that home, that garage, that chimney look brand new Yet again, a lot of brick in St. Louis. Make it look new with B&G Tuck Pointing. 363-0525 or bgtuckpointing.com. And appliance discounters. Talk about the great merchandise, the great deals on all the different appliances, the biggest names. But don't forget the great service repair. They'll get out quickly and get your appliances back up and running. I've had that done. Had a little fridge issue. And my guy, Sean out quickly with the right parts back up and running theappliancediscounters.com for all of your appliances all your service needs as well thanks for checking us out on the kill coin conversation